Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, another episode of Simply Amazing. We got a very, very special one for you guys tonight. Uh, anyone who's been hanging out for uh, since the beginning, everybody here knows Andrew, Andrew Claudio. Uh, he's the host over at Mets Therapy. He's the producer here at Simply Amazing. Uh, my, I was a co-host on his show years ago. You guys are about to hang out and uh, listen to me and Andrew chop it up for. A really, really fun episode. Hang out, enjoy. I'll come uh, check back in at the end just to let you know where we're going next. And uh, have fun. Joining me now, I guess technically we join each other because this is going to be a crossover episode that airs on both feeds. Uh, the host of Simply Amazing, the one and only Tim Ryder. Also, I should say the... Of, of the Substack newsletter, the Apple as well, which you could subscribe to on Substack, link in description. Um, Mets Therapy, Simply Amazing Crossover. Tim, how you doing, buddy? Doing awesome, Andrew. Thank you so much for, for setting this up. It's really, really nice to hang out again. It is. And I, I specifically wanted to talk to you because <laughs> I, for those who don't know, I edit Tim's podcast, Simply Amazing. And best producer in the in the biz. I, I do my best, you know. Um, I obviously see your episode descriptions before I go into listening and 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 putting your shows together. And one thing I've known about you since way back when, since when when we first met, you're the most optimistic Mets fan I've ever met. And it's not so much to the point where, like, what I like to do at Mets therapy is like really process feelings to get to understanding. So that way we're not just miserable. You know, you find a way through the misery to get some acceptance. And then there's you going on the show Monday and being like, well, here's their path back to the wild card race. And I, well, to be fair, it wasn't really a path back. It was more of these things could happen. Highly unlikely. I definitely prefaced everything with this is all highly unlikely. But yes, yeah, sure. Um, and, and I said that likely once you finish up in Atlanta, all hopes will be squashed, which, you know, you did in our clocks. You did. I, I think so. Here's what I'll but, say. But yes, if there's always an optimistic view, that's that's I can't debate that. So I was hanging out with my brother this weekend. Um, I went I went back to Long Island just to hang out with him for this weekend. My parents are away, so we decided to have like a brother, a, a brother date where we just like went to the movies and watched watch stuff on TV and whatnot. So he's like still standings and scoreboard watching, and he's like, "Yeah, the Mets they they're, they're winning a bunch now." And I'm like, "Dude, they lost twenty one to three a week ago. Like, you're not getting me back then. It's it's cute. The Cardinals stink." The, the, they took care of business against the Pirates, but they're going to do a whole lot of winning that they haven't been doing up till this point. And so he's like, no, nah, I think they're, they're going to get back into it. This, the sixth seed is right there. 
And so what I laid out for him, what, what would need to happen. And it, like we talked about this Saturday night after the, the third Cardinals game where they blew out the Cardinals. And it was like, okay, so what would have to happen? And it started first and foremost with win that last game against the Cardinals. <laughs> then it was like, take two out of three against the Braves. Show me you've got... I mean, you've got something. Take two out of three against the Braves. And you know what? They could have won the second game. So yep. that was in play. But the amount of winning they were going to have to do or, or would have or are still going to have to do to make this nice little run uh, sustainable. I just was not convinced it was going to happen. And then they went ahead and lost three out of four. <laughs> so I now ask you the most optimistic Mets fan that I know. Yeah. So how are you feeling? Is is it? Are you able to process? Like, say they take two out of three, or even sweep the Angels this weekend. Is it still like, okay, this is nice. They're actually putting some things together. They they've got guys that are actually putting good seasons together. Whether it would be Lindor or Pete or Nimmo or, or the, basically the top of the order finding themselves and and more regressing to the mean that we hope carries over into next season. Or are you looking at this? really light six seed that continues to not, we may end up with an 83 win playoff team this season. It looks like, are you looking at that six seed and is hope still alive, Tim? I mean, mathematically, yeah, there's still a chance, but Mm -hmm. um, no, I mean, everything would need to break the break, the Mets, excuse me, to break right for the Mets. And that's with half a rotation, half a positional roster. Um, when everything in baseball says they shouldn't, um, it's very tough to believe that they're going to do anything otherwise. That being said, no. In my, I've seen crazier stuff happen in sports in life. Sure, make a run. Let's get crazy. But in, in the same breath, I think just finishing strong is enough in itself. I think finishing strong, at least for this core, and you know, we've seen what this core has been doing over the last few weeks and whether that coincides with the trade deadline, whether it coincides with things being uh, pressure free. Now, you know, the clubhouse knows we could only speculate. Um, It's still encouraging to me. It's still, it makes me, I mean, on top of everything else, how the organization is just putting one foot in front of the other, like in succession, like they really never have in, in, at least in my lifetime. And, uh, you know, that's encouraging finishing strong after the worst possible scenario that this season was is, is slightly encouraging this core, making sure that they finish this out professionally. Think that resonates with me more than anything. And, uh, yeah. If they can make a run and and finish 500, if they can finish 500, that's to me a a nice consolation prize as the most optimistic Mets fan, you know? So I agreed with 99% of it was literally the last line that, that, Oh no. Okay. It's a bit of a pushback because you're saying you're literally hitting on all the things that I'm finding as a positive, that this core is showing that Mm -hmm. the teardown that they did at the deadline does not need as big a reset next season that there is still something here at the top of the order that you could build on for next year, that you're not like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 moves away from being in quote unquote contention for a wild card spot. And 
like the long-term pieces, the Lindors, the Nimos, the, I mean, honestly, the McNeils of it all, the, the guy did just get an extension. And with every prospect that the Mets have right now being a middle infield prospect, I'm kind of happy that the potential future left fielder of the Mets <laughs> is going to be able to uh, finish the season with an OPS over 700. You know, like we're going to be able to see if, if McNeil gets his average up to 275 after where it was for most of the season, I'm actually like, I'm okay with the, with how his season went. The last part about them finishing 500, I have to, and this is how I've, I've, I've trained myself since the deadline. Like if they go 75 and 87, that's even a win. Like if they get to 75 wins with what this roster was left with when they played in Kansas city, when an Arau, uh, I'm, I'm going to pronounce all these guys' names wrong. The Ortegas of the world, the da- the the Stewarts of the world, the Arauzes of the world, the Danny Mendix of the world. Like these quadruple A players yeah. taking the opportunity and turn it into legitimate auditions for roster spots next season. That's positives. And whether that translates into wins and losses or not, I just... Uh, it's not conditioned upon. I know you probably weren't saying like the like the consolation prize. If they get to five hundred, I actually think they should hang a banner. But <laughs> I think I mean. we have the same sentiment that if they yeah. got to seventy five wins, just be strong. Exactly, just be strong. Yeah. Make me feel proud to be a little proud to be a Mets fan after this shit show that was the last hundred games, a uh, hundred plus games. Yeah. Um. You know, to even to finish five hundred, I think they have to go plus. Plus nine in the win column over the last 34, 35. That'll be, that's going to be really, really tough, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I should just, I guess, mention that the Mets are at the moment. Uh, oh, they got to go plus 10. So they're 59 and 69. Okay. Um, so they would have to finish. That's 34 games left. That's 44 games left. It's 34 games left. 34. Yeah. So they would have to go. Let's see if I could do math. 22 and 12. Yeah. Over their final 34 games against all wild card teams, which so that, saying it out loud just makes it sound even crazier to your point, And then to my brother's point, and this is what I said to him, the actual path, if you did want to get nuts about them getting back into the race, which is the thing I laid out before the deadline was if you do a little bit of winning and get to 500 by the deadline, like by that Kansas city series, if you were at 500, their last three weeks of the season are all against teams in front of them. The Marlins, the Phillies, the Reds, the Diamondbacks. So it would be literally right in front of you. This two-week stretch they're going through, we're, Anaheim aside, Anaheim, the Angels aside, like they're going to play the, the Mariners who are the hottest team in baseball right now. And then they, they obviously just played the Braves and they play Texas next week. So they're going to play these teams that are destined for 95 wins this year outside of the angels after that is when the schedule lightens up. So I look, I'm with you. A consolation prize for me is a strong finish. And that's it. Yeah. That's, um, I gotta be honest. That's the most uplifting thing that I'm taking from this. The positive and the overall good vibes are that this is the most I've enjoyed watching the team these last two and a half weeks. It's DJ like, Stewart, oh, one through nine. DJ Stewart, the story <laughs> of his his wife having a baby and he's like motivated by diaper prices is so relatable. And it's also <laughs> like, oh, you I'm actually okay if the Mets bring you back as like the 27th man 
next yeah. year or find a spot for you in AAA if you can't find a place any place else, you know? If Buck's back, you have to assume DJ Stewart's going to be in the mix. Um, and I'm fine with that. Oh, just his depth? He, I think he's proven that he can he can go up there and hack it if you need him to. Like, I think that's a good guy to have around. And, uh, you know, even his veteran presence. There's going to be young guys in the clubhouse. You know that. There's going to be a lot of work to be done this offseason. I don't think, um, you know, you could look at your core and look at the, the prospects that are really close. But it, it's ah, there's going to be a lot of work this offseason. There is. You're 100% right. There is. Um, can I tell you the funniest thing? But I'm, I'm finding actually hilarious at this point in the season. You know what Daniel Vogelback's OPS is at the moment? OPS is, I want to say pushing 800, if not maybe a shade over. Uh, it's not 800, it's 722. But like oh. you're hitting on what he's been for the last like three months. Since yes. he had that mini break, he's got like a 780 OPS in that stretch. Um, okay, that's what's in my head. So the realized version of Daniel Vogelback that has turned into, man, just like what the Mets signed for a million dollars or brought back for a million dollars. It happened this late in the season or after time. I just, he became such a scapegoat and he's now turned himself into what a lot of people thought he was going to eventually regress into being, but everything was going wrong and everybody wanted Vientos up here. So it like didn't matter about him regressing to the mean or not. Um, That's just, it fascinates me. A question I have for you. Because you pay attention to the minors way more than I do. Not that I don't, but I don't. I don't. Not as much as you do. I will say. Um, the call for the kids that happened through most of the season. I was all for it after the deadline. Like none of this, these games are going to matter. So, like you might as well call it Mauricio. And I still, I think, I think I still am in favor of just call it Mauricio and mm. see what's up. But. The one common thing I did find, I was thinking this all throughout the Braves game on, on Monday, was this turnaround did kind of start after the Beatty demotion, after, uh, like, like, you know, wish injury on Vientos, but after the Vientos um, injury. And, like, not for nothing, Alvarez, I love the kid, has just looks like he's hit a rookie wall where he's just never played this this much. Like, I've, I'm... Every time in the group chat, a friend of mine just casually is like, why isn't Alvarez playing? It's like, because he's been playing five out of six days since getting called up. He's exhausted. He's never played this much baseball in his life. And then this, what's up? I was going to say, he's been, he was cooking up until probably like, you know, the start of August. He was on fire. Right. Then the last three weeks happened. I'm saying we're at the point now where it looks like he hit a wall at the start of August. This is the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I guess people I've seen people on social media lumping him into, you know, Beatty and the amount of struggles he's had. It's like, no, no, no. He's not even close. Yeah. Just rookie slumping, man. That's all. That's okay. So the question I have, and it's, it's, it's kind of a disingenuous question, but I do feel like it needs to be asked, like seeing what this team was the last, like the, the the last like two weeks, basically. Mm -hmm. And the difference between like Arauz, who's not, like he doesn't have a major league bat, it doesn't look like, but he has a an elite major league glove. Um, you know, the 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 Ortegas of the world doesn't have a major league bat to an extent, but like does seem to have an above average major league glove. And like our core bond, it feels like Tim was always Luis Guillorme. 
And it's like, if yeah. you're not going to be an elite hitter, you know, you have to be a, if you're not going to be like a consistent, like a McNeil or someone that can be an everyday player, you need to be elite at something. And what the Mets sure. have replaced Beatty, Vientos and, and the kids with is like these, these quadruple A players that are elite at one thing. Like DJ Stewart's kind of a liability in the outfield, but he's shown an elite bat, his power bat over the past two weeks. I guess pop, yeah. the question this is leading to is, is it concerning that it seems like living through the kids' growing pains was so frustrating and it added on that like it created so many holes in this lineup lineup. And once that the, the kids disappeared, it seems like this lineup kind of took off. Does that is that just is that uh concerning to you at all? No. No, I think that instilling older players, veterans, you might say, even though they might not have a bunch of major league at bats, I think adding those guys into the mix where they're playing probably for their livelihood at this level. Um, those guys are playing, you know, that's a different mm -hmm. vibe. These guys, you know, you look at Brett Beatty. I have no question that Brett Beatty's going to be a, a decent major leaguer with a ceiling that's probably a lot higher than that. But he should be a an average to maybe above average major leaguer. He should be. His bat should play at that at this level. Um, at the at the point that he was at, though, he was just pummeled mentally. I, I don't like talking about players' heads, but. For a young player, it's very easy to see where things could have gone for him. And that's where it went. He got the experience he needed. To your point about Mauricio, Mauricio needs to fail here mm -hmm. to grow. He needs it. I don't think there's any more that he can do at the minor league level. And I, uh, who was it? I think it was Keith Law talking about it. And he made a great point. He's still touching on Alfon Alfonso Soriano comps. And I don't want to touch that because he was so, so good. And I think Ronnie could be a good player, but... Um, let's, you know, that's a bridge too far for me, but for right now, I, I think he has to be up. I think he has to just, even if he's going to start hot, he has to hit that rookie wall. He has to, pitchers have to adjust to him and he's going to have to learn how to adjust to that. That's the only way to progress in this game. And, and if, uh, I, I, I hope they give him the shot this year because at this point, I think they're just seeing if he has any more in him and he might really be frustrating the kid. And I think that those are the reports a little earlier on in the year that he was just getting a little bored at AAA. And I guess I get that if, I guess if he would work on the discipline, which I have to assume is bothering them, um, maybe it would go quicker, but if he knows he could drive a ball, that's a little bit out of the strike zone, go take a hack. It's We've seen guys do worse or do better with worse discipline. The tough part is seeing Beatty struggle, seeing Viento struggle. Um, you then do want him to be a little more major league ready. And your point about like take a hack is like I have no idea what's going on in Syracuse that you just you're apparently just a better hitter. Like <laughs> is the difference in pitching at the AAA level in that league so much different than major league that it's become it's because the like, brick baiting on down there the first two days of triple A and hitting two home runs was like, all right, what's going on in triple A? He turned yeah. into Mike Schmidt. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just like, so I, I just I don't know. The 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 common thing I've heard about Mauricio is that he's got a swing and miss problem. So I don't know 
if I want someone with swing and miss problems coming to the major leagues yet. Having said that, the point stands. He needs to fail here. I agree with that. I just find it fascinating that the Mets have now settled on this weird team, this weird lineup that's producing because like you said, guys are playing for their major league lives. And when the Mets were playing for their major league season, we were playing the kids and suffering through some growing pains instead. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can we talk about Pete Alonso, please? Because yes. you want to talk about something that is annoying me that I probably need to work out in this therapy session. Yes. So it does, speaking of the Brewers, it does not surprise me that teams tried to trade for Pete Alonso. It does not surprise me that a team like the Brewers, who is toward the bottom of the league in offense, has been for the last couple of years, and it's cost them because they have a pretty elite pitching staff. Um, is looking to someone like Pete, who would just be a revelation for them over the next year and a half if they were to trade for Pete Alonso. But for those who don't know, a report came out from Ken Rosenthal that the Brewers tried to trade for Pete Alonso. The Mets, I don't want to say refuted the report because they did acknowledge that Pete was involved in trade talks, but the Mets uh, shot down the severity in which the uh, talks were brought to. However, Rosenthal's report says that the trade talks reached field goal range. So they he believes, according to the Brewers, or the source that he has, that this was closer than the Mets are leading on. I just, man, I so I also watched Francesa. And I have no idea how much of a source Mike Francesa is or how much okay. we can take his word as as Bond, but like he was on Barstool this week and like he says that according to him, the Coens have picked Lindor as the golden child. And now Pete is being made out to be a scapegoat of all the internal culture problems that last year he clashed with the Grom. And then this season, he's just like, he didn't some of the way, some of the things he does rubs guys the wrong way. Now this is all conjecture and, and speculation. So I don't want to go that way. I just, can I? I really want Pete Alonso to be a New York Met for his entire career. And I'm really annoyed that this is not like a foregone conclusion that sometime this offseason, he probably should have already been extended. And like, how do you, like, where are you with the Pete Alonso situation? And like, you tell me, do you see them pursuing extension or should I just be preparing for a trade or him just to not be here in a year and a half? No, no, I, I expect an extension to get done. If not, you know, I I would assume off season, but yeah, I don't expect him to go through the process. I think the Mets to make, I expect the Mets to make a an extremely aggressive offer to keep him in the fold. And I mean, if you look at just what he's done since 2019, um, 137 weighted runs created plus that's 15th in the majors among all hitters since 2019 most homers over that span by the way uh Olsen just overtook judge 
this probably this week. Uh, Olsen's at 166 over that span. Judge is at 164. Schwarber's at 161. Andrew, can you guess who's it? Who's behind Schwarber over that span since 2019? Going to guess Pete Alonzo? No, no, Pete Alonzo's first. Oh, he's first. So he was first. Oh, so it's so Alonzo, Olsen, Judge, and Judge Schwarber, and number five would be Shohei Otani. You got it. Yeah, very good, very good, very good. Um, which is, I'm sure we'll get into him at some point. But oh, what a gut shot! But we'll wrap, we'll wrap up with that. Yeah, awesome, awesome. See, you you were always same the brain. best, same brain. Always the best host. Okay, yeah. um, Pete Alonzo's. He's, you know, undervalued because of his defense, but offensively, we've seen, I mean, power wise, forget about it. Let's put that aside for a second. Offensively, we've seen his peaks and that 270, 360 slugging through the roof type of type of peaks. And is he going to stay at those numbers? No. But if you can get a solid, if you can get Pete hitting on all cylinders here in New York, at a 260, 340 slugging to the moon type production level consistently, you know, he should be a Met for life. Whatever organization that type of player is in should be in that organization as long as they can keep him there. The position the Mets are in, they can keep him here as long as they want him here. I don't really believe that. I mean, I don't want to say I don't believe the DeGrom thing, but I don't want to point fingers there because, and this is only from one source. I, I, if I was a journalist, I couldn't lean on this. But I heard it from one source who's a decent source that, that, that if that did happen, it wouldn't have been the first altercation that DeGrom had got in, in the Mets locker room mm-hmm. during his time here. I don't know anything further than that. That's literally what I heard from someone who would know, but it's only one person. So journalistically, it means nothing. So I'm not putting that out there in any of that in any of that sense. But you have to look at it from both sides. You also have to look at it from the brewer's point of view. And and uh who put this out on Twitter and he nailed it. And it was probably like that night. Jarrett Seidler from Baseball Prospectus just nailed it. The Mets have been tampering with David Stearns for years. Any chance they were going to get to throw dirt on the Mets, on Steve Cohen, they were going to take it. Mm. It's been in their pocket for for how long? And they did good with it. They went to Rosenthal. That's how you know they did good with it. All right. You've, you've, you've calmed me down a little bit. The conspiracy of uh, against the Mets, specifically from the Brewer side of things, is is what's sparking all of this. Look, oh, no, this is sour grapes. And I'm sure they tried to trade for him. But and I I would agree that they were probably holding back Chorio, who is their number one prospect and with very, very good cause. Um, But if they were throwing. Uh, who is the name they're throwing out? Who's currently there? We were just talking about him. Come on, man. Mm, I got to pull up the athletic to look at the there was no prospect that I I. I want Pete Alonso on my team. There's, there's no, oh no, zero. Yeah, like I didn't, I, I might have seen the name in the athletic and then moved on because it's like, oh, it's not Pete Alonso. (laughs) It's exactly like even if you have to turn him into a DH down the line, that's okay. You're probably going to have a a better fielding first baseman come along at some point. Pete's probably going to slow down in the field at some point. He had one serviceable year at first. 
playing towards the line on plays towards those towards the line, he's still decent. Um, trying to go towards second, he's not. Uh, you know, he's serviceable. He his footwork's gotten a lot better. You have to give him that. But yeah, it's it's he's gonna have to move to DH one day. And if the Mets, I think personally, he's an ideal DH. But maybe the Mets as an organization value the versatility of the position. Mm. And oh, what happens to Pete then? He's a part-time first baseman. What if he ages really poorly? Like, if there's a lot to consider. I can get that, but if if I'm making the call, no, no, no. Give us the next seven years of your career, Pete. Please, let's let's do a Matt Olson type deal and let's get this done. So, three things. First of all, the prospects mentioned in Ken Rosenthal's report. Um, the Brewers, uh, uh, like you said, Jackson Chirio, the number two prospect on Keith Law's recent top sixty, um, was not under discussion. Uh, the other of their top five prospects, Sal Freelich, Jefferson Cuero, he's a catcher, uh, and Jacob Mizoroski and Tyler. Yes, Tyler Black. Uh, any of those players potentially could have been the centerpiece of an Alondra trade is what Rosenthal is reporting. Any of them. So I don't know if that's all, all right. of them or multiple of them or specifically just like one of them. And it's going to be a Scherzer for. Like the Scherzer deal, where it's one for one, Scherzer for Acuna. Yo, Cuero could be Martin Maldonado. Cuero could be Salvador Perez. I like Cuero. He could be a anywhere from an average to Hall of Very Good type catcher. And Sally Perez, I mean, he's one of my all-time favorites. He's probably not a Hall of Famer, though. Um, I, I wish Cuero the best. The Mets drafted <laughs> a catcher with their first-round pick last year and called up Francisco Alvarez, who's the number one prospect in baseball last year. So yeah. I'm... I'm good on the catcher position. Yeah, him. exactly. You know? Freelich, uh, Freelich is a, a firecracker. He is fun, fun, fun. Uh, I want to say Tyler Black is on his way up. Out Outfielder? I think so. Third okay. baseman, Tyler Black. Third baseman. Oh, okay. But I want to say he's like speeding right along. Um, who came over? Brian Anderson came over from uh, from Miami. He was there for a number of years. Um I, I think that him adding to that room could have helped. I, I don't know. I haven't even looked at his numbers this year. I don't know if he's healthy. I don't know if he's playing, but I was always a big fan. But, it, you know, what they're trying to do there, it's working. And Yellick having the season that he's having is huge. I, I'm sorry. I, we're getting into the Brewers. I, my apologies. We'd rather have Pete Alonzo is the point. We would so, rather have. That's the point. We'd rather have Pete Alonzo. Number one, those are the prospects that were mentioned. Number two, you mentioned the DH that Pete could eventually transition into that. And this will transition into Otani talks. So you have to treat in this post universal DH world, you have to treat that position as a position. Now it's no longer just like a gimmick in the AL, but in our new reality where there are 30 full-time DH positions, you, you kind of have to treat it like you would any other position on the field right now. And if it, can be to your benefit that Pete Alonso is taking up 70% of your DH at bats in the future opens you up to another first baseman. Potentially the Yankees have done this well with alternating judge and Stanton and Rizzo. And I mean, they're the Yankees aren't the example of what to do at the moment, but they've, I feel done a good job of rotating who the DH is the Phillies, to be honest, they have like four DHs, but because Bryce Harper needed Tommy John surgery and can't play the field anymore, yeah. Schwarber's stuck playing left field. Castellanos mm -hmm. is stuck playing right field, although he's gotten better in the field over the last year. Um, 
and they're just kind of they're they're rotating the spot. I bring up the DH spot because Alonso could potentially be there, like you said. Alvarez could potentially end up there if Parada is part of the long term future with the Mets. And then there's Shohei Otani. And so the last part about the Pete Alonso talks that's fascinating to me. So for those who don't know, I'm sure you have if you're listening to a baseball podcast, but Shohei Otani, who was headed for a record-setting payday, um, and still may, and we'll talk about it, um, tore his UCL. He had Tommy John surgery on the same elbow five years ago. Uh, and then one, it was the year after he won Rookie of the Year, I believe, Tim. But the point being is that he was not a pitcher when he first uh, tore his UCL because obviously he tore his UCL, needed Tommy John surgery. Um, now that he's toured again a month and a half away from free agency, uh, he is a, at the moment not going to pitch the rest of the season. I believe he's going to play against the Mets this weekend and hit as a DH in all three of these games. Mm-hmm. But man, I, the, the people I've been talking to today about this, it's like, so what's the new contract look like? And I, my first thought is like a front loaded, like, five to six year deal with a two year opt out in case he wants to get a surgery and the team agrees you could be a DH while you're recovering from the surgery, but then we'll see you pitch or teams just are going to have to accept the reality that when you get Otani, it's like, it's like signing Kevin Durant. Like you recognize one of these years is not going to matter because he's getting surgery and you're not getting the two way player until year two. Um, Or is this a change in Otani's, career that he's no longer this two-way player and we're going to have to shut the pitching side down or I've, I've seen it thrown around a bit on social media is he going the John Smoltz route are we no longer going to see a starter Otani and we're headed toward closer Otani point mm-hmm. being first of all like you said it's just devastating that this guy was a month and a half away from free agency and now has to deal with the reality that I don't think he's going to get the $800 million payroll uh, uh, payday that he was going to get if anybody was going to throw it at him. Having said that, he may still get a lot. And I know an owner that's crazy enough to throw the biggest contract at him, despite the injury concerns. So if you I, I threw all this at you and, and all the, the backstory, just to, to start off by saying this, um, I would still gladly welcome him on my team as a DH, even knowing that I also want Pete Alonso extended this off season. Um, even though it no longer can be an answer to my DH problems and my starting rotation problems. Um, where are you on, on all of this? The Otani sweepstakes, like obviously this is devastating, but like, what's your, your thought as a Mets fan on where the Mets will play a part and what part they'll play in the Otani sweepstakes this summer? Where I think without a doubt, they'll be in some way involved. If, if Otani is entertaining coming to the East Coast, that's and even if he's not, I think the Mets will make a pitch to to change his mind. Um, I, I wouldn't put myself in the player's mind, but uh, I think until they're told no, they're going to make an attempt. Can I ask the question differently? What's the new contract you think he's now looking at? Oh, I was going to answer piece by piece. Oh, right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sure. Um, I don't know. Tagging numbers. I think talking about what, how the number, how the injury reflects what the numbers are. One, I think it's a little um, 
icky to me. And like, and two, of course, it's going to affect what he's going to receive and it's going to cause hesitation. But the point that I, I wrote it down as you were talking, Jacob deGrom, everyone in baseball with a pulse knew his arm was about to fall off. And I don't say that in to be. No, we all. Down on, it's why the day that, that he signed with Texas, if he kept on going the route, the, the road yeah. that he was going, throwing 100, 102 miles an hour, it, it, it might not end well. Texas still gave him all that money, said, you know what? Even if it happens, we were behind you. You're going to get better. Science, medicine is better than it's ever been. We'll get you towards the back end. You don't have a lot of mileage. You're talking about the greatest baseball player in the history of the sport. And I don't even say that with, with any hesitance whatsoever. Yeah. Who's a two-way player who could still hit throughout this whole process. And I do love the eventual move to closer idea because you might actually get similar value if you're seeing him, let's say, you know, on two days off a day, on two days off a day, and use him in spots that he really needs should be used. There's value there. We we don't have time to get into that whole fucking, oh, excuse me, that whole spectrum, but it's he's still going to get the richest contract in baseball history. I think you still think so. Yeah. Where, 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 wherever the, the ceiling ends up, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even pinpoint that. But the fact that you're one expecting, you know, he's, he's going to get a, a long-term extension unless something drastically changes. Um, and I would assume that would come from Los Angeles. Uh, from Anaheim, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> um, just over the last few days, how things have happened. All right, you know what? Let's just do a quick deal and then let's do this again in a few years. We might see that happen. I don't know. I'm just throwing that into, into discussion. But I think in the long run, like you said, it's going to be a a year of him not pitching. There's going to be some risk whether he comes back the same, but we've seen how many guys come back the same, if not better. You just got to be careful. And now again, with medicine and science, it's going to be risk. When is there not a risk? And also to the same effect, we have an owner who's literally made billions off risk. So if there's going to be a team to go and, and really look at this from all angles. Yeah. You have to consider the Mets. The, you have to. The Steve Cohen of it all is why if that contract is still in play, I don't think look some of the numbers we were seeing thrown out there of eight to 900 million. I just don't think it's happening anymore. Oh, I think uh, that was just a, a, a piss in context at some point. It's like, Oh, like, who could say the biggest number. I don't think that he's headed for, I guess he could head for five still. Because I don't know, do you do you treat it like Degrom plus elite hitter? You know, like are you putting one ninety on top of the Riley extension, the Austin Riley extension, or name a power hitter? You know, or are you looking? I mean, I mean, you can you would put him on Judge plays the outfield, though. Judge, I would put him on as a hitter. Yes, Judge plays the outfield. Okay, so you're adding moderate, and he's a very good center fielder. But so you're adding some value there. And I hate translating value to dollars, but okay. In this, in this sense, it makes a lot of sense. You're trying to equate like what try, yeah, hitter you, plus pitcher combo. Are you 
putting together to because I think with Judge, you count on him as an outfielder too. With Otani, if he is a full time DH that can't pitch anymore, if a team is not willing to commit to a guy having a second Tommy John surgery, that we're signing you to also be a pitcher, that I'm only going to evaluate you. Because that's why I wonder is this more we're evaluating you as a hitter and a closer? Because is is this more like Judge plus Diaz, which which does then get you to five hundred million? Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not I'm not really looking at total value because we don't know where they're going to come as far, especially now with what's happened. Where are they going to come as far as long term? I'm looking at AAV, your average annual value. Mm. So let's look at Scherzer and Verlander, who are what forty three million each. Yeah, forty exactly. I know it's forty three point three million each, and Otani's. You know, one of the best hitters in in baseball, if not, you know, one of the best. Um, If he's not getting his 60 million a year plus, that's probably that could be on the low end. And that's, of course, average salary. And you're going to want to backload it because, of course, he's not going to be pitching for the first year, maybe two of this of this new deal. But average annual salary, if you know, and even if it's towards the back end when he's doing both and I should let's throw average out just when he's doing both this market value 60 million might even be on the low end Mm. I I mean if you have any input on that I mean I don't know how you how you value a player that's about to have a critical surgery for the second time in five years how many times has Verlander had it and he got forty three million from the Mets literally after rehabbing it for a season for two years. He won the Cy Young for after two years, and that's the thing. He showed like I'm better. I'm good now. And yeah, but has, has Otani not? Not a, not after a second one. This was a tear, right? This wasn't like oh my god, like oh he. Which you know, maybe he, it'll come out, and he doesn't need surgery. Maybe this oh, well, is the the Tanaka injury. And oh no, get the surgery! No, 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 get the surgery! So no if he's what. gonna have Tommy John again, then we're it talking. Might not be total. Might not be a total reconstructive. Though. Like we don't know what the intricacies of it are. And I'm not a doctor. I don't know how that all works. But. So re- uh, operating from that place of, I don't want to call it ignorance. Where we're operating from, but we're not doctors. <laughs> so. Operating from that understanding, I agree. Like the severity of the injury will dictate the direction these negotiations go. Well, the history of what we've seen in these cases, like I go back to DeGrom. He didn't have the 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 what's it called? The uh the Tommy John yet, but oh well, he had one previously. That's but. the thing. This is his second. This is his second, but Everybody who had a pulse, especially if you're a major league organization throwing that sort of money at him, everyone knew this could happen at any moment, which it could happen for any pitcher. But with Jacob DeGrom, everybody kind of had the inkling it was going in this direction. That's what that's what Otani's agents are going to push. Like, oh, no, no, risk shouldn't matter. Medicine has brought you to this point. You're looking at future. You're paying for his future production. and. You could wipe a year off and he's still the most productive baseball player in the history of the sport. And I think that's the angle that these agents are going to push. And we, we're going to be looking at NBA type money for a major league baseball player. 
And so you're also hitting on a, a point with DeGrom that isn't being, that we haven't just mentioned yet, and it's marketability. The fact that Texas baseball fans were able to sell and buy Jacob DeGrom jerseys is part of the conversation. And yes. the yes. difference between DeGrom and Otani is while DeGrom is out, you can wear your Jacob DeGrom jersey to Globe Life Park or whatever that stadium's called. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you're not going to see Jacob DeGrom on the field for a calendar year. Whereas while Otani is recovering from this injury, you will see him on the field while you're wearing your Otani jersey. And City Field would be packed with Otani jerseys. I think the yeah, more you, I talk you, through it, you Tim, would be hitting though, right? That's he what I'm be- saying. He would be on, well, I guess not on the field, at the plate. Like he's oh, that's- like DeGrom disappeared from Texas. You're not going <laughs> to see him play baseball for the next year. Yeah. Whereas Otani, say he gets the surgery, Mets sign him. Will be on the field as their DH or be part of you will you will get to go watch him play baseball during this stretch, which is part of the calculation. I gotta be honest, the more I talk through this, I think very little has changed. I think maybe the number goes from the astronomical how high could it go to a more manageable. Well, it's still gonna be the the biggest contract in baseball history. It's just not gonna be like there's no billion dollar baseball player that may happen next year. And look, you, you hit on it too. Steve Cohen just kind of throws money around. If there's any owner that's crazy enough to be like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just be the oh, highest bidder here. Otani come here in his quote unquote day job, as he refers to it. Um, calculated risk is, is literally how he built his fortune. Bingo. This would be the most calculated risk I could possibly think of in baseball. Who's the guy with the, you know, with the brass apples big enough to, to give that a shot. Come on. So here's where I stand on Otani. And I, I was of this thinking before the injury. And I think I'm still there. I think he ends up a Mariner. A Mariner. I, I think oh. he wants to stay on the West Coast. That would be amazing for that, I, te- for that city. Oh. I think he wants to go. The, the Ichiro influence just cannot be understated. You know, um, the... I, I I could see San Francisco because they just been they've been trying to give a big contract to one of these guys. Like it goes all the way back to Stanton that they've been trying to give out one of these big contracts, and like Judge blew him off, and they tried to they traded for Chris Bryant, and then Chris Bryant didn't happen. Um, so they've been trying to to get a guy in the door. Um, I'm not gonna rule out the Dodgers, although I just. I'm just not. I'm not going to rule out the Dodgers. I'm not going to predict them to to do it either. I think if it's about wanting to stay on the West Coast, I think he ends up in in Seattle. If it's a bidding war, I believe he's going to be a New York Med. I'm 100 percent certain of that. If it's a bidding war, Steve Cohen's not going to lose it. That I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I don't want to say concerned, but my dark horse would be the Yankees. I don't think the Yankees are going to have four $300 million players on their roster. I believe the Yankees are now being run by the new Wilpons. I'm not even trying to be facetious there. I'm going by the track record. Well, on, on their payroll, not on their roster, because I can't foresee them keeping Judge through the winter. Uh, excuse me. Keeping Stanton through the winter. Um, even though, did you see that 119 mile an hour ground ball he hit today? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Oh. But when he um, makes contact, he still it still goes hard. He just rarely makes contact. Yeah, and at this point, yeah, he's a shell. But um, the Yankees are going to pay all of his contracts. He's going to go somewhere, 
And again, change of scenery, just getting healthy, whatever the case is. I don't foresee him staying in New York. Well, hold on. I'm not talking about the Mets, but what Yankees are doing this? What what? Yankees are going to pay for him to go somewhere? They'll make it happen. He can't stay and and, and move this organization forward. This organization, that organization forward. They they couldn't. uh, Tim, Josh Donaldson's still on the payroll. They're paying Josh Donaldson's salary out by keeping him here. They're playing out the string of the Donaldson contract. They're going to do the same thing with Stanton. But this is the least competent the Yankees have ever been in my life. And I'm not trying to be like, LOL, LOL Yankees from a Mets fan perspective. I'm stunned. I think they were this bad last year. And that's how good a year Aaron Judge had. That record setting season masked all of this. I'm not but, saying they can't still be like a wild card team. There's six wild, there's six playoff teams in the league now. I'm saying I'm I'm stunned at what that that team's become that I'm not even considering them in the Otani sweepstakes at the moment. If the Mets can trade two 40-year-old pitchers uh on the largest contracts of the largest single season salaries in major league history, um during the same week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that any team could trade. Uh, I'm sure the Yankees could do something you to, my point. to that effect. If Epler could pull that off, I know Cashman. Me and you have had this discussion. I think Cashman is a Hall of Fame executive mm-hmm. who has just spun the tires for so long in the Bronx. Like you put him in another situation, and all oh, this his his next act is going to be ridiculous. Ridiculous. I so you're we're, we're I think you're missing what I'm saying. I'm not no, saying I'm that agreeing they, with you. I'm agreeing with you. I'm not saying they can't. Like obviously, what the Mets did when the, with a very aggressive approach at the off at the deadline, they turned some high priced veterans into a top ten farm system. The Yankees did nothing. That's what the Yankees are at the moment. The complacency in that ownership box is. But, but Everson Pereira's up. But Everson Pereira's up. What does that mean? <laughs> Oh, well, no. you're being oh, you're being joking around. Okay, like, no, no, no. Yeah, he's uh, honestly. I think everyone was talking about Volpe when he came up. They should have been talking about Everson Pereira, but uh, this isn't the Yankees. These aren't Yankees podcasts. It's but the Yankee you know point has to be made that. But the Yankee point has to be made. I just listed five teams: Seattle, San Francisco, the Dodgers, the Mets, and I guess the Angels. Going back to them before I even considered the Yankees. And I got I'm gonna be honest, if I were to list another East Coast team, I'd probably pick the Phillies with how aggressive they've been in free agency the past couple of years. I am confused at the order of operations and what the Yankees have been doing. And look, they could completely prove me wrong. And this is what they've been saving some chips for. And you're right, they they get aggressive and find a home for Stanton and they go get Otani. I think this is a new era where Hank and Hal are truly in charge and like shout out to my buddy Sean with the W he compares them to the two Roy brothers from succession that this is Kendall and Roman Roy and I like the comp in that both of them don't have what their father Logan had as far as the 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 it factor that leads to the success that that company had and clearly Hank and Hal don't have what George had um, but I think what they don't have is that competitive spirit. The Yankees will always be a successful 
monetary franchise. They'll always be a successful business. And I think they've become so complacent with what the lifestyle of owning and running the Yankees gives them, what the uh, the riches and the the status within their their circles gives them. I just I think these are more the two bus brothers because I'm watching Winning Time over at uh, uh, HBO about the Lakers. Those two sons do not have any interest in passing on their father's legacy. They don't have the drive that their father had to be like the best team in the sport every year. The World Series are bust. And I, I, I don't hate to say it because I'm a hater Mets fan, but just taking that part of me out, I, I don't know if it's going to become such a mandatory thing every year that the Yankees need to win the World Series. Cash was not going to lose his job because of this. And in years past, George would have fired everybody twice by this point. And it's just a reminder that we are in a new era of Yankee baseball. All right. As we wrap up, Tim, um, let's talk about Doc and Daryl, uh, who will get their numbers retired. Number 16 and number 18 sometime next season. Uh, some might say long overdue. Some might say, uh, should this even happen because of what happened with their tenures? Uh, let's talk about this from an emotional standpoint. Your thoughts on Doc and Daryl getting their numbers retired. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I love what since Cohen's taken over the team, um, uh, like embracing the tradition that should have been embraced such a long time ago. Um, like when they built the, uh, when they built city field and, and made it, you know, a Brooklyn Dodgers mm-hmm. cathedral, like it's a gorgeous stadium. I love city field, but like <laughs> with, giants color, was, with giants colors on the outfield wall, <laughs> Hey, it my, honored New York sport, New York baseball and didn't honor the Mets. My daughter's first game, she got a foul ball before I got a foul ball in the Mets ah. game. Um, still had black outfield black walls. outfield wall. Yeah, the I pictures. Hated the, the pictures. I hated it. Yeah, the grainy and awesome. Um, I was too young to really have any recollection of 1986. My upbringing into Mets fandom, which was. You know, I barely remember 88. My first season following every game that I could was 91. But I was indoctrinated between that 89 to 91 season. So, of course, you know, tumultuous doc stuff, but he was the guy. And to a young kid, it's like, oh, we just want him back. We just was doc. It's doc. All you heard about was this legend of Dr. K. Um, You know, he never, of course, did it, did that type of stuff again with the Mets. Um, but what he did here was indelible enough that, that he's a, you know, he's a legend, he's a legend here and and it, it's about time. And, you know, shout to Dice K. Matsuzaka who, who wore <laughs> it with pride and many others, but yeah, it was time. And Daryl, I mean, that's one of the most prolific offensive players in franchise history. Um, it should have been mothballed you know, a long, long time ago, as soon as they reconciled um, and even well before him and the frame and the Mets reconciled, it, it should have been mothballed. If you, so, I mean, and, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's just, there's two parts of this. So first oh, of there's, all, there's more to it. Oh, there's absolutely more to it, but well, so just from my perspective, the it's funny growing up when the Mets had one retired number 
as far as a player is concerned. Like they only had Seaver retired, and then it was Gil Hodges and Jackie Robinson and and Shea Stadium. You know, um, I used to tease because your inferiority punk complex comes in. They're just more specifically defense mechanisms come in when you have Yankee fans being like, oh, you've, yeah. you've had one great player in your life, like play for your franchise. And it's like, well, you guys retire anybody that's ever worn the Jersey. The Yankees are going to have to start wearing triple digits at some point. And I used to be part of that mafia that spewed that. While also feeling deep inside, man, I, I kind of wish the Mets honored their history a little more. And I kind of wish they did retire more numbers. Now, I've had many a discussion. I believe I've had these discussions with you over the oh, years yeah. of who oh, yeah. they, these guys should be. And when they retired Piazza, I, I knew like front and center, I got to be there for it. And it was a novelty. Okay. The Mets have two retired numbers. It's their two hall of famers. I'm, I'm in like, it, you got to be really special. And yet I still thought like, Man, so nobody from the '86 team is getting their number retired. Like nobody from '86 is represented on the in the outfield. And then Steve Cohen showed up. Now I should mention the last parting act from the Will Ponds was that they retired Jerry Kuzman, and I have to remind myself that all the time. That Jerry Kuzman got his number retired right as the Will Ponds were walking out the door. Um, having said that, the fact that in three seasons. Steve Cohen is just gonna like retire the entire '86 Mets team. It's Making just it like, yep, okay, we get it. You're a hedge fund guy that grew up watching the Mets in the '80s, so all of these guys are getting that number retired. Yeah. Fine by me, Stevie. Like Keith last year, Willie Mays last year, now Doc and Daryl. It's only a matter of time before we see Gary Carter get his number oh up there. Gosh, that's the one. It, honestly, if it was me, number eight would have went first, but that's not my call. So the the trickle down of where this is headed, I think the Mets are going to have like within the next three to five years, like close to a dozen numbers retired. It wouldn't shock me. And I'm curious how lenient they'll be with retired numbers. Um, but that's that's a discussion we can have in a second. As far as Doc and Daryl and what they mean to me are concerned, I'm happy for Daryl. Um, I'm happy for Doc, as you were saying, that... Like the the sad part of his story gets talked about way too much. That it's the potential of what could have been that was wasted, not even wasted, but that was taken away by an addiction that he couldn't overcome. And the fact that he'll be honored, and I have no idea what's going on in his life and whether he's fully beaten that addiction or not. The fact that he'll be honored by a fan base that still holds him in that high regard for what the peak version of him was. It's pretty cool to me. The Daryl Strawberry of it all. So, Tim, I played baseball from the time I was, geez, time I was nine. So fourth grade until I graduated high school uh, with honors. Shout out varsity baseball. Um, Then I played softball from the time I was 16 until I was 30. I wore one number my entire life. It was number 18 because my dad wore it. Um, My dad wore that number because his favorite player was Daryl Strawberry. Um, when I was 12 years old, getting home from Disney World from a Disneyland vacation, we ran into Daryl Strawberry at the LaGuardia Airport, and I made him feel really old in telling him I wear number 18 because uh, my dad wore, wore number 18 because he watched you uh, when before I was born. I made him feel old and told him that this 12 year old, like 
idolized him because he was good before I was born. <laughs> but yeah, the the fact that Daryl's getting his number retired is the most I've ever connected with a jersey retirement or former player being honored, maybe ever. Yeah. And I'm like that's like the number one ticket for me next season. So that's where my that's my take on the number retired. Um, anything else you want to add about Doc and Daryl? Um, yeah, I think the uh, everything that you said right on the mark. You can look at the um, the wasted potential, the the missteps. You know, you root for in the same way that you appreciate the art and not necessarily always the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you could even speak to that because the trajectories that both of these human beings have gone on is just stuff that human beings kind of go through. And, and I, I don't, I don't hold it against them. I've had demons of my own. Like, you know, I, I got to meet doc at, um, uh, the folks over at the QB convention were cool enough to have me on a panel last year. I got to talk to him for a few minutes and, you know, told him how much his journey had meant to me, uh, and during through through my tougher times back when I was younger. And um, I also told him that hey, one day you're gonna be retired up at uh your jersey's gonna be retired. <laughs> and he didn't believe me. He's like, nah, we'll see, we'll see. Something to that effect. But it, it was, you know, that's that's the only personal note that I could even add to it. And it's it's very cool to see. And what you I think you you hit it on the nose, there's gonna be a lot more coming. Uh, I have a question for you, and you know my feelings on Jose Reyes. Um, I can't do it. No, I won't. I can't. But, I think the Mets won't that's do it. One either. instance that I could separate the art from the artist that I, I I will just throw him every his time as a Met was incredible. It hurt me as a fan when everything came out, and I could never actively root. I'll always root for him as a person to improve. And that's the only rooting that I could do. I can't even appreciate it anymore. And it's, I can't honor it. It kind of hurts. As fans, we get sucked in and separating it is always a really, really weird thing. So, Can't imagine what Tampa Bay kids are going through right now. Oh, don't get that's all. No, no, we we're not going into we're it. Not, right? We're not. We're not going into it. And I can't believe I'm. I'm even trying to. They're two different tiers, is what I'll say. <laughs> Jose oh, Ray no, is but, what, but, but look at. But I'm, I'm talking about just the fans right now. Just, just as the, far as the fan is concerned, fan. yes. A imagine young fan not understanding that? why Wander Franco's like jerseys. We, are we were adults when Jose that, Reyes yeah. went through his shit, right? What those young fans in Tampa Bay are going through right now, that's going to mess them up to baseball for a bit. Yeah. And that, I mean, it has the potential to. And that's disappointing. And that's all we're going to get into on the Tampa Bay situation. I don't even want to get into his name. So I, I don't know. I want to be careful how I say this because I don't think I could personally ever honor Jose Reyes in mm-hmm. any way, shape or form. I do also separate the art from the artist. And that second go around with the Mets was very bittersweet, mm. you know, because he was Self bad that, those last two years. So it was really tough to be like, nice hit, Jose. You know, having said that, I don't know, like I root for Derek Rose and I root for, I rooted for Familia when he came back here. And like I still listen to Michael Jackson and, 
you know, I, I'm able to, like you said, separate, I'm able to separate the art from the artist. Like I honored Kobe today for 824 and last year, last yesterday for his birthday. Uh, I'm able to look at what you did with your life after said incidents or said behavior. And by all accounts, Jose Reyes has done all the right things. Not that it exonerates him, which is why I don't condemn him. Not that like what I do, a guy on a podcast that he'll never meet matters, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't personally think I could attend or acknowledge or would appreciate an, an, an honoring or celebration of his Mets tenure. So I would not, I would not be of, of, I don't know how I would respond to be honest. Yeah, but really honest to a, a the Mets are retiring. I don't Jose think it Reyes matters because I mean, uh, I don't want to get into. I I, I don't want to. Uh, well, here's the thing. Look, look at the guys who were going in. I was about to say year. not not for nothing. Doc and Daryl got some skeletons, man. Got some skeletons. Perfect. Thank you. That was perfect. Skeletons. There are a lot of skeletons out there. The more there. that I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I'm, talking, I'm, not, I'm not just talking substance abuse stuff. No. Addiction is one thing. There's just a lot of nasty stuff out there. Daryl and his his ex wife. There. And, and so actually, a, you know, now that I'm I'm talking it through, if I can do that whole soliloquy about Daryl Strawberry and what his number means to me. <laughs> and be like excited for his jersey. I guess I can't really throw stones at a Jose Reyes's glass house, you know. No, well, it's. I think it's a personal thing, and at least for me, disavowing Jose Reyes as a Met, which I, I'm, I'm not confident in saying that I'm. I've reached that mark. I was at that point, but I, I can't. You know, I loved that team. That that era. I don't mm-hmm. care about how those seasons ended. I loved that team. And to see that star fall was really, really disappointing. And to, and it it sucked. It hurt. And I think that's part of the reason that I'm just, nope, I, I don't want to see it happen. And again, personally, I hope he can grow. I hope he grew from it. I hope he continues to grow. He seems like he's doing fine. But using the Jersey retirement as a, image rehabilitation mm. which maybe we're starting to see early waves of maybe arguably it feels a little weird but you know there'll be some i'm sure there'll be some talk of it leading up to it in the day of and then a few days later we'll stop talking about it and so here's the last thing i'll say on it doc and daryl and their skeletons they played in the 80s so I don't know. I'm not saying Derek, that Jose Reyes has to wait until 2045 to eventually get his number retired. Time will heal any of these wounds potentially, yeah. you know, I hope um, so. it also would help if number 12 gets retired before number seven, like the actual best shortstop in mess history uh, gets his number retired before um, Jose Reyes does, which, you know, we'll see what happens. Um hey. Reyes in his prime was electric. You can't take that away from him. I'm not taking away from him. Oh, no, no, no. no. I'm just saying not saying. you, not you in general. Oh. Like, nobody can take that away from him. Anyway, Tim, as always, <laughs> uh, it is a pleasure to talk about this baseball team with you. Uh, tell, well, so I guess we'll both do our plugs because this is a crossover. In fact, we'll do intro outros on separate. Tim, it's just always great talking about the Mets with you. I hope you're doing well, man. Oh, same here, man. Um, honestly, any trajectory or any progress I've made in this 
is thanks to you giving me a chance. So, uh, and this is way back. Um, oh my goodness. 2017, 2018, possibly we linked up. This is years ago. 2018, 2018, 2018. And, um, I've been just having a blast ever since and literally owe it all to you, man. I appreciate everything you've done in that regard. Of course, still with a hand in the show and it's, you know, it's like family and, uh, this has been extravagant. Just a, a really, really good time. Did I tell you guys that was fun or what? Oh, man. All right. So we'll be back. Um, end of the series. Uh, yeah, I guess end of the weekend. We'll, we'll check back in. Maybe bring a guest in. Taron's still on hiatus. But uh, I want to say he's working towards maybe a, a brief return in September. Like almost like a call-up now. It wouldn't be that. It would be like the... Oh, it'd be like coming off the trade deadline for my guy. He's a big heavy hitter here. Um, but really, what a blast hanging with Andrew. Everybody, check out Matt's Therapy. Uh, once basketball season comes along, if you're a Knicks fan, check out uh, the Knicks Film School. These guys are doing cutting-edge work with Knicks basketball. Um, you know, there's some good outlets out there, but these guys, they're, they're, they're setting, setting the mark, and everyone else is kind of hitting... hitting you know, trying to reach those marks. It's uh, It's been very impressive to watch from afar and, and tip of the cap to those guys. And really, can't express how much fun hanging out with Andrew was. I hope that uh, came through in the recording. And you know the sign-off. It's let's fucking go Mets. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.